Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. The Romanov Daughters The daughters of Tsar Nikolai II of Russia and his wife, Alexandra Fyodorovna, were born into the wealthiest royal family in the world. Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and Anastasia had glittering futures ahead of them, with the prospects of marrying the grandest royals in Europe and living their days in the lap of luxury. But their little brother's devastating illness and their parents' detachment from the realities outside of the palace walls resulted in four astonishingly naive and sheltered young women, and ultimately the downfall of their entire family. Let's take a look at the tragically brief lives of the four Romanov daughters. Then we'll explore the many works of drama which speculate that one of the daughters survived their tragic fate. And finally, we'll examine the most interesting cases of the over 20 people who came forward claiming to be one of the long-lost members of the Romanov family. Olga the first child was born on November 15, 1895. Among her godparents was her great-grandmother, Queen Victoria of the UK. Her mother, Alexandra, had been raised in the Spartan manner of English Victorian children, and she raised her own daughters in the same style. They slept on hard camp beds, wore hand-me-down clothes, and took cold baths every morning. From childhood, Olga was noted for her compassion and desire to help others, as well as her moodiness, bluntness, and temper. As a small child, she grew impatient sitting for a portrait and told the painter, you are a very ugly man and I do not like you one bit. She was the most studious of her siblings. Her Swiss tutor wrote, she had good reasoning powers as well as initiative, a very independent manner, and a gift for swift and entertaining repartee. She loved to read and would often snatch a new novel before the Tsarina had a chance to read it. She joked that her mother must wait for Olga to determine if it was appropriate for her to read. She also kept up with politics by reading the newspapers. But novels and newspapers were her only glimpse into the life of everyday people, and such an existence was a hard concept for the imperial princess to grasp. She had no notion of money and thought that a milliner who came to the palace had given her a new hat as a gift. When Olga was eight, her cousin, Princess Elizabeth of Hessen by Rhine, also eight, came to visit the Romanovs for Christmas. 
cousin Ella contracted typhoid fever and died during the visit. Olga remarked that her playmate must have gone to spend Christmas with God. Olga was especially close to her father. She wore a necklace of the icon of St. Nicholas in his honor. The Tsar often enjoyed games of tennis, swimming, and taking long walks with Olga, during which she would confide in him. Olga loved her mother dearly, but as she entered adolescence, their relationship became strained. Alexandra developed back pain and suffered a host of physical complaints, which likely came down to stress and hypochondria. She frequently took to her room for days at a time and ignored her children. When she did emerge, her daughters and son walked on eggshells around her for fear of setting off another bout of heart pains or receiving her admonitions about their behavior. Olga in particular was held up to a high standard and expected to be an example for her younger siblings. Alexandra reprimanded 16-year-old Olga for failing to control her 7-year-old brother Alexei at a family dinner during which he teased the guests, refused to sit up in his chair, wouldn't eat his food, and licked his plate. Alexei was the youngest of the five Romanov children. After four daughters, his birth was highly anticipated by the family and the empire. But within days of his birth, it was discovered that the Tsarevich had hemophilia a life-threatening disorder which prevented the blood from clotting. The precious and fragile Alexei was cherished and coddled by his mother and his older sisters. This family vulnerability allowed for mystic healer Grigory Rasputin to infiltrate the Romanov inner sanctum. In addition to providing religious salve to Alexei and his mother, Rasputin became a companion and confidant of the daughters. Their governesses were horrified that Rasputin was allowed to visit the girls in their bedroom while they were in their nightgowns. One of the children's nurses accused the monk of raping her, but the Tsarina refused to believe it, saying everything Rasputin did was holy. She had the nurse dismissed. It was widely whispered that Rasputin had seduced the Tsarina and the four princesses, though there is no historic evidence of this. When pornographic cartoons began circulating, the Tsar ordered Rasputin to take leave of his family for a while. Because of these accusations and his growing influence on the political decisions of the Tsar, members of the extended Romanov family brutally murdered Rasputin. When the four sisters heard the news of their friend's demise, they stayed up all night together weeping. Olga later wrote that she had understood how her mother's devotion to Rasputin had contributed to the family's downfall and recognized that he had to be killed, but she wished it hadn't been done so terribly. As Olga grew up, she blossomed from an awkward child into a beautiful young woman. She had a fresh complexion, deep blue eyes, and quantities of light chestnut hair. The only young men she and her sisters had ever known were their guards and the sailors on board the royal yacht. The girls all had crushes on these officers, and Olga fell in love with sailor Pavel Voronov. But such a relationship could never be. Olga wrote in her diary of her heartbreak on Pavel's wedding day. Society was beginning to buzz about prospective royal grooms for the teenage princess. A ball was thrown to celebrate Olga's 16th birthday. She wore a pink gown and had her hair put up for the first time. Her parents gave her a diamond ring and a pearl and diamond necklace, symbols that she had become a woman. But Olga had no idea how to behave at a ball and speak to gentlemen. She came across as childish and graceless. 
Nonetheless, the possible grooms considered for the highly eligible princess were many and included her cousin, Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich of Russia, Crown Prince Alexander of Serbia, and Edward, Prince of Wales. But the thought of leaving home terrified Olga. She wanted to marry a Russian and stay near her parents. While on a trip to meet prospective husband, Prince Carol of Romania, she and her sisters deliberately sunburned their faces, and she ignored Carol so that he would not pursue a relationship. When Olga was 19, World War I broke out. She, her mother, and sister Tatiana volunteered as nurses with the Red Cross. The young women relished this rare exposure to life outside the palace and getting to know their fellow nurses and the officers in their care. During a break, the girls ditched their royal attendant and for a thrill went into a shop. But they were dismayed when they realized that they didn't have any money and indeed had no idea how to buy something. So they asked a nurse friend how. Olga fell head over heels for a wounded officer named Dmitry Cherbogov, whom she called her Golden Mitya. She was distraught when he recovered and had to return to the front, and delighted when he was again injured and came back to the hospital. But Olga had a hard time dealing with the pain and death she saw in the operating theater. She suffered outbursts of grief and rage during which she threw objects and broke windows. She underwent the common treatment for depression and nervous disorders, injections of arsenic, and she gave up nursing. On her 20th birthday, Olga took control of some of her sizable fortune and began to give to charity. While out for a drive, she saw a young child on crutches. She learned that the parents were too poor to afford treatment, and she paid the child's medical bills. As the eldest, Olga was the most aware of the tensions building in the country and the impending downfall of the monarchy. Tatiana Tatiana was born on June 10, 1897. She and her sister Olga were named for the sister heroines of their father's favorite novel, Alexander Pushkin's Eugene Onegin. Their Russian titles, Velikaya Nayazna, translate best to Grand Princess or Imperial Princess, higher than any other princesses in Europe. But not to be outranked, the English referred to them as Grand Duchesses. She and her sister Olga were referred to in the family as the big pair. They shared a room and were devoted to one another. When Olga was six, she came down with typhoid fever and had to be separated from four-year-old Tatiana, who was distraught and fearful for her sister. Tatiana was the undisputed leader of the band of siblings. They nicknamed her the governess and sent her as their representative to ask favors from their parents. She was less intelligent than her older sister, but more even-tempered and hard-working. She was elegant and artistic, enjoyed embroidery, and could dress her mother's hair as well as a professional stylist. She was the daughter closest to the Tsarina. She knew how to give her mother the attention she craved and spent hours reading to her. They also shared a deep religious devotion. Tatiana was especially dedicated to Rasputin and kept a notebook filled with his sayings. As a teenager, she was given the rank of honorary colonel and assigned a regiment, which she and Olga inspected often. She held many infatuations with soldiers, but also expressed a childish horror at the idea of her cousin, Prince Ayuen, kissing his new wife. When the princess was 15, she and Olga accompanied their parents to the opera. 
While in the Imperial box, they witnessed Prime Minister Pyotr Stolypin being fatally shot by an assassin. Tatiana was especially traumatized by the event. As they grew into adulthood, Tatiana was much more sociable than Olga and took on more public appearances. From an early age, Tatiana was considered the most beautiful of her siblings. She had dark auburn hair, blue-gray eyes, and fine features. Prince Alexander of Yugoslavia was quite taken with the vivacious princess and was caught gazing at her during family dinners. His father wrote to hers about the possibility of an engagement, but the Tsar responded that he would allow his daughters to decide who to marry. However, betrothal negotiations ended with the outbreak of World War I. During the war, Tatiana was a dedicated nurse and spent countless hours caring for the wounded and organizing supplies. She complained that because she was only 17, she was kept away from the more trying medical cases. Like her sister, Tatiana had a favorite patient, cavalry officer Dmitri Malama. He gave her a French bulldog puppy whom the princess named Ortipa. The dog was with Tatiana until the end of her life. Maria. Good-natured and affectionate, Maria was born on June 26, 1899. She took after her 6'3 grandfather, Tsar Alexander III, and was tall, broad, and remarkably strong. As a child, she enjoyed lifting up her adult tutor. She had light brown hair and large blue eyes that were known in the family as Maria's saucers. The princess was particularly devoted to her father and would often escape her governess to go to Papa, once climbing out of her bath and running naked through the house in search of him. Otherwise, she was a very well-behaved child. She once stole some biscuits, and when her governess asked her father how she should be punished, he laughed and said that he was glad to see that she was only a human child and not an angel. Maria and her younger sister Anastasia were known as the little pair and were often dressed alike. Maria was usually dominated by her energetic younger sister and was forever apologizing and fretting over Anastasia's troublemaking. Maria had a bad case of middle child syndrome. Her sisters teased her and called her Fat Little Bow Wow, and she often sought reassurance from her mother that she was indeed as loved as her siblings. Like them, she had innocent flirtations with the soldiers who guarded the family. She had a particular fondness for children, and had she been an ordinary girl, would have been quite content to marry a soldier and have a large family. Her English cousin, Louis Mountbatten, had a crush on her and kept a picture of her on his bedside until his own assassination in 1979. At 15, Maria had her tonsils removed. During the surgery, she hemorrhaged, and the doctor was so unnerved that he wanted to stop the operation, but was ordered to finish by the Tsarina. This meant it was likely that Maria was a carrier of the deadly hemophilia gene, known as the royal disease, which her mother had passed to her brother, Alexei. This was confirmed by forensic pathologists studying her remains decades later. Had she lived to marry, Maria likely would have passed this dreaded disease onto even more unfortunate royal children. During World War I, Maria and Anastasia were too young to train as nurses alongside their mother and elder sisters. So they contributed by playing checkers and billiards with the wounded soldiers and caring for the children of the nurses. Maria wrote to her father that she thought of him at the front when she was feeding the little children. 
Anastasia. On June 18, 1901, the Tsarina gave birth to her fourth child and fourth daughter. Russia had strict laws that barred women from inheriting the imperial throne, enacted by Tsar Paul I, who had despised his mother, Catherine the Great. The court was deeply disappointed at yet another thwarted chance at a male heir. Tsar Nikolai had to take a long walk to compose himself before visiting his wife and new baby. But in spite of their sex, Nikolai and Alexandra loved all of their daughters dearly. Anastasia is a Greek name meaning of the resurrection, and this fact would later play into the growing legends about her. When Anastasia was three, her mother gave birth to the long-awaited male heir, Alexei. The Tsarina adored her only son, calling him her sunbeam. But in his first months, his parents observed that minor bruises did not heal, and Alexei bled from the navel. He was diagnosed with hemophilia, a dreaded disease that at the time meant an early death to those it struck. Alexander knew well the danger her precious child was in as her own brother Fritti had died from the disease at the age of two. She spent nearly all her time with Alexei, coddling and protecting him from harm. Alexei was also adored by his older sisters, and he overshadowed them in the eyes of their parents. The Tsarina began to see her daughters not as individuals, but as a collective, calling them Otma for the initials of their names. They were all four dressed alike, or in pairs, with Olga and Tatiana making up the big pair, and Maria and Anastasia the little pair. Anastasia had blonde hair and blue eyes. She was a bright and vivacious child who preferred climbing trees to sitting still in the classroom. Her governess said that she was the most charming child she had ever known, and a courtier noted that in naughtiness she was a true genius. She loved to play pranks and cheat at games with her playmates. A cousin was horrified that she ate chocolates without bothering to remove her white opera gloves. All the time, the five Romanov children were growing up in the cocoon of the palace and their parents' love. Russia was going through seismic changes. Tsar Nikolai refused to make reforms to help his people, and shocking inequality haunted the empire. With three million soldiers dead in the war, poverty and starvation rampant, and protests in the streets, the people would no longer abide the golden family living in crystal palaces. Their time was quickly coming to an end. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. 
Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir de zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. The four daughters of Tsar Nikolai II of Russia and Tsarina Alexandra Fyodorovna were born to a couple who ruled one-sixth of the world. Olga was bright and temperamental, Tatiana outgoing and creative, Maria affectionate and fretful, and Anastasia charming and a born troublemaker. They grew up in palaces and their devoted and overprotective parents kept them naive of the wider world. They might have had wonderful happy lives ahead of them, but the great inequality in Russia that afforded them beautiful dresses and jewels meant many thousands of other children went to bed hungry. The people would no longer stand for this grave injustice. In early 1917, protesters and looters filled the streets. The revolution had begun. Tsar Nikolai was at the front of the First World War. He tried to return to his family, but his train was halted by armed revolutionaries who forced him to sign abdication papers. Nikolai feared handing the crown to his only son, 12-year-old Alexei, who suffered from hemophilia. So he instead named his brother, Mikhail, as his successor. Mikhail wanted no part of the doomed czarship and rejected the throne, effectively abolishing the monarchy. When Nikolai finally reached home, he embraced his wife and children and wept with them. When Alexei was told of his lost inheritance, he was incredulous and asked, but who will be Tsar? He couldn't believe that the answer was no one. The family was placed under house arrest in their palace, and with the shift in power, many of their servants turned on them. The sailor who had nannied the Tsarevich for much of his life, with no choice but to accept his teasing and abuse, now delighted in ordering Alexei to clean up after himself. Nikolai asked his first cousin, King George V, if he would help the family escape to the UK. And they might have spent their lives living in the English countryside, but the children had contracted the measles and were too ill to travel. By the time they recovered, King George had gotten cold feet about hosting a man now labeled a tyrant and withdrew his offer of help. Their ailment had caused the girls' long hair to begin to fall out, and they had to shave their heads. Alexei joined his sisters in solidarity. After five months confined to the Alexander Palace, their captors feared that the former royals would be rescued by one of the many European royal families that they were related to or murdered by revolutionaries. So they were boarded onto a train and traveled for four days to Tobolsk in the heart of Siberia. There they endured the seven-month-long winter in the former governor's mansion, which was dirty and dilapidated, especially after life in a palace. The four sisters shared a single room, which was so cold that their hands couldn't write properly. 
Nonetheless, they sent endless letters to cousins, former tutors, and fellow nurses, desperate for contact with the outside world. They often apologized for having nothing interesting to share as their days were filled with boredom and monotony. They spent hours gazing out the window and watching with fascination as common people went about their days. They received sparse news from the outside world, and Olga, the eldest, was the only one of the children who had a good sense of the danger they were in. At the end of October, the provisional government was overthrown by a Bolshevik coup led by Vladimir Lenin and Leon Trotsky. By spring, the nation was in civil war between the White Army and the Red Communist Army. Lenin feared that the White Army would try to rescue the former Tsar, so he ordered the family to be moved closer to Yekaterinburg. Alexei had suffered another attack of hemophilia and was too ill to travel. He was confined to a wheelchair and would never walk again. Nikolai and Alexandra went on ahead with Maria, while Tatiana, the most responsible of the sisters, stayed behind to nurse Alexei. Olga was melancholy, and she and Anastasia remained behind as well. The family had an extreme fear of being separated, and they wept when they bid each other farewell. Alexandra wrote to her daughters that when they had arrived in Yekaterinburg, they had been aggressively searched and their valuables confiscated. So the daughters sewed their remaining jewelry into their clothes. A month later, Olga, Tatiana, Anastasia, and Alexei were moved. On board the ship that ferried them, a sailor fell and hurt his leg, and Olga ran to offer assistance as she was a trained nurse. An attendant wrote that 21-year-old Olga had withered into middle age during her captivity. Once the family was reunited in Yekaterinburg, they and their four attendants, Chef Ivan Kiritonov, Butler Alexei Troop, Lady's Maid Anna Dimidova, and Dr. Eugene Botkin, were held prisoner in a merchant's house, ominously known as the House of Special Purpose by the Bolsheviks. Even in these dire circumstances, Anastasia, the family clown, tried to smile and keep the family spirits up. She directed her siblings to perform plays and had their parents and attendants howling with laughter. The sisters, and especially Anastasia, became friendly with the guards. One later described her as a very charming devil. She was mischievous and, I think, rarely tired. She was lively and was fond of performing comic mimes with the dogs, as though they were in a circus. But their jailer, Yakov Yurovsky, didn't want his guards getting friendly with the family he knew they would likely have to execute. So he replaced the men and forbid the new guards from speaking to their prisoners. One day, Anastasia, fed up with being locked in a dark house, opened one of the whitewashed windows, and a guard shot at her and barely missed. On July 14th, a local priest was brought in to perform a church service for the family. During the prayer for the dead, the Romanovs fell to their knees. The next day, a group of local women came to scrub the floors, and the four daughters got down on their hands and knees to help, relishing the exercise and the company. These women were the last outsiders to see them alive, and reported that the daughters were dressed drably in black skirts and white blouses, and their short hair was tumbled and disorderly. That night, at dinner, Yurovsky announced that a kitchen boy who had been Alexei's playmate had left the house to stay with a relative for a few days. Unbeknownst to the Romanovs, this was because the Bolsheviks didn't want to shoot him along with the rest of the party. 
the family was sad to see him go. On July 17th, the party were awoken in the middle of the night. They were told that there was unrest in the town and that they must go down into the basement for their own protection. They were fearful, but unaware of what was coming. In the basement, Yurovsky, a former photographer, arranged the party as if they were standing for a portrait. Alexandra complained that there were no chairs for herself and her ailing son. They were left for half an hour, and Alexandra and her daughters whispered in English to one another in defiance of the guard's orders. When the guards returned, Yurovsky began to read out the sentence of execution, and the guards opened fire. The Romanovs barely had time to cross themselves before being shot. The first round only killed the parents and two of the male attendants. The jewels the children had sewn into their clothes deflected many of the bullets. When the smoke cleared, the guards returned to finish off the rest of the terrified family with more bullets and bayonets. Amulets bearing Rasputin's image and a prayer were found around each of their necks. Their bodies were destroyed by sulfuric acid and fire, and the remains were thrown down a mine shaft. At the time of their deaths, Olga was 22, Tatiana 21, Maria 19, Anastasia 17, and Alexei just 13. Lenin didn't want the world to blame him for the murders of innocents, so initially only the Tsar's death was announced. But several people in Yekaterinburg had witnessed the guards moving multiple bodies, and rumors spread. As the story of what happened to the imperial family began to circulate, it shocked the world. The tragic demise of these four lovely girls on the cusp of adulthood captured the public imagination. Rumors that one or more of the children may have escaped became one of the most enduring mysteries of the 20th century. These theories launched multiple books and films. The 1928 silent film, Clothes Make the Woman, is the story of a woman who turns up to play the part of a rescued Anastasia for a Hollywood film, and ends up being recognized by the Russian soldier who originally rescued her. The 1956 film, Anastasia, casts Ingrid Bergman as a woman suffering amnesia who turns out to be the long-lost Russian princess. The 1997 animated film follows a similar storyline and casts Meg Ryan as the voice of the renegade princess. The animated film was adapted as a Broadway musical in 2017. All four adaptations weave a happy ending for the youngest Romanov princess. Anastasia has most often been the subject of escape theories, likely because she is the youngest daughter and was known to be friendly with the guards and because her name, beautiful and distinct, means of the resurrection, a coincidence too intriguing to be ignored by storytellers. In addition to works of fiction, dozens of real-life individuals popped up claiming to be one of the lost Romanov children. Most of these claims centered around Anastasia, though some alleged to be Alexei or another of the daughters. Eugene Nikolaevich Ivanov was the first claimant to gain notoriety. He was living in Poland and suffered hemophilia, just like the real Alexei. After making a few headlines, he disappeared from history. Eleonora Kruger and George Zudin claimed that they were Anastasia and Alexei, and that they had been secreted out of the house of special purpose and replaced with doppelgangers who were killed with the family. 
They then escaped on a ship to Egypt and eventually settled in Bulgaria. Eleonora married and became a schoolteacher. She told her pupils stories of her childhood in palaces and bathing in gold bathtubs, and claimed she was unable to sing because of old bullet wounds to her neck. George suffered from illness, which might have been hemophilia or tuberculosis. He died in 1930, aged 26. Eleonora died in 1954 and was buried next to him. In the 1990s, their graves were excavated, and a landanka, an icon typically buried with Russian aristocrats, was found in George's grave. Eugenia Smith was living in Chicago in 1963 when she published a book, Autobiography of Her Imperial Highness Anastasia Nikolaevna of Russia. In it, she claimed that she regained consciousness in the cellar after the execution and was aided by a woman and two men who helped her escape Russia on foot and by train. She gained a small band of followers who believed her story. Michael Golinewski was a Polish immigrant who became a United States CIA agent. He claimed to be Tsarevich Alexei and to have secret knowledge of the Tsar's vast lost fortune. He was about 20 years younger than Alexei would have been and claimed that his hemophilia, of which he had no other symptoms, made him appear much younger. He met Anastasia claimant Eugenia Smith in 1963, and the pair corroborated each other's stories in Life magazine. Alexei Temet, an Estonian immigrant living in Canada, wrote letters to the British royal family claiming to be their long-lost relative, Tsarevich Alexei, in 1964. He received cease and desist letters in return. He was unable to explain why he didn't have hemophilia. Marga Butz claimed that she was Princess Olga and that a compassionate guard had knocked her unconscious during the massacre and helped her escape to Germany. She alleged that she had met Kaiser Wilhelm who recognized her and gave her money. Cousins of the Romanovs, Prince Sigismund of Prussia, the Grand Duke of Oldenburg, Princess Charlotte, and her brother, Prince Frederick Ernst of Saxe-Oldenburg, all believed her and supported her financially. Their patronage allowed her to live in a villa on the fashionable Lake Como in Italy. Even Pope Pius XII backed her story. When Anna Anderson became famous with her own claim to be Anastasia, Marga spoke out against her, but quieted down when she realized that many of her own backers also believed Anderson. Marga died in 1976, age 81, and was buried under a tombstone paid for by Prince Sigismund, which said, in memory of Olga Nikolaevna, eldest daughter of Emperor Nicholas II of Russia. Anna Anderson was the most well-known claimant. In 1922, while in a mental institution in Berlin, she began to claim that she was Princess Anastasia. The scars all over her body lend credence to her story. Several relatives and former servants of the Romanovs who had known the children came to meet her. Some left sure that she was a charlatan, but others were convinced that she was indeed the lost princess. Her believers chalked up her patchy memory and refusal to speak Russian to trauma. Russian expats and European nobles who bought her story took her in. She lived with the Duke of Leuchenberg at Castle Sion for a time. Tsarina Alexandra's brother, Ernst Louis, Grand Duke of Hesse, hired a private detective who discovered that Anna was actually a Polish munitions factory worker named Franciska Szonskowska. 
Shocked by her fiancé's death in World War I, she had accidentally dropped a grenade, killing a fellow worker and causing her own scars. But when Francisca's brother met Anna, he swore he didn't know her. Anna was invited to New York by Zinnia Leeds, a Russian princess who had married a wealthy American industrialist. Anna and Zinnia hired a lawyer and attempted to claim the supposed vast fortune the Tsar had held outside of Russia. They made a tidy sum selling shares in the inheritance. In 1928, the Tsar's mother, Dowager Empress Maria Fyodorovna, died in Denmark. Her 12 nearest living relatives met at her funeral and signed a pact formally denouncing Anna's claim to be Anastasia and calling her a fortune hunter. Anna lived briefly with a Park Avenue heiress and was the toast of New York City, but her self-destructive behavior culminating in a naked run along the rooftop and a locked door which had to be broken down with an axe caused her benefactress to send her back to Germany. She continued to live off various of her followers until the outbreak of World War II caught her in the Soviet-occupied zone and a target for assassination. Supporters helped her escape to the United States, where she married an eccentric history professor named Jack Manahan, who enjoyed calling himself Grand Duke-in-Waiting and son-in-law to the Tsar. The couple lived in a squalid old home with dozens of dogs and cats. Anna died in 1984 at the age of 87. Michael Gray, an Irish author, claimed in his 1998 book, Blood Relative, that he was the son of Tsarevich Alexei, who had escaped to England with the Dowager Empress Maria Fyodorovna aboard the warship HMS Marlborough, and secretly married Princess Marina, Duchess of Kent, in the 1940s. Alexis Breimeyer was a serial royal pretender who claimed to be the grandson of Princess Maria. He alleged that this connection made him the rightful heir to the Russian throne. He also claimed that he was His Serene Highness Prince Kievenbruller Armsberg until the real prince sued him, and that he was the son of Prince Nikolai Dorgarugi of Russia until Nikolai's real descendants sued him. Next, he alleged that he was a descendant of a member of the French royal house of Anjou de Rossus, who had escaped execution during the French Revolution, and that he was thus entitled to the throne of Naples. He wrote letters to King Juan Carlos of Spain and various other royals demanding to be recognized, and he nearly convinced royalists in Serbia to make him king there. He died in 1995 without a throne. An end to the Romanov mystery. As tantalizing as it is to believe that one or more of the doomed Romanov children had escaped the massacre, those hopes came to an end in the cold forest outside of Yekaterinburg. The gravesite of the Romanov family was discovered by amateur investigators in 1979, but they kept the location a secret until the fall of communism. In 1991, they went public with their discovery, and the site was excavated. All four of the family's attendants were identified among the remains, as well as Nikolai, Alexandra, and three of the daughters. Prince Philip, the husband of Queen Elizabeth II of the UK, and one of the closest living relatives to the Romanovs, provided the crucial DNA sample that was able to confirm their identities but the remains of Alexei and one of the younger daughters were unaccounted for, fueling rumors of an escape. 
Anna Anderson had been cremated a decade earlier, but a portion of her intestine, which had been removed during a surgery, had been preserved. Her DNA was compared to that of the Romanov's recovered remains and the sample given by Prince Philip. They were not a match. Anna Anderson's DNA was a match for the brother of Franziska Shonskowska, who later confessed to his family that he had indeed recognized his sister, but decided to leave her to her comfortable life deceiving the nobility. In 2007, two more bodies were found in a separate burial site in the woods and were confirmed to be those of Alexei and Anastasia. The bodies have all been laid to rest with the long line of Romanov Tsars in St. Catherine Chapel of the Peter and Paul Cathedral in St. Petersburg. The Russian Orthodox Church canonized the entire family as saints in 2000. The Church on the Blood in honor of all saints resplendent in the Russian land was built on the site of the house in which Tsar Nikolai, Tsarina Alexandra, and their five children, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, Anastasia, and Alexei, all unquestionably met their tragic end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History, the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. From a revolution of hope and liberty to the infamous reign of terror, you can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So search for the French Revolution today.